are at home. Uh, if you're joining us via Zoom, be sure that you mute your microphone and that you mute your video because we're just about to live stream. Uh, Io, if you'd come on up uh, so that uh, as soon as we start the live stream, you can start reading. Just come on this way. That'd be fine. And jump in there. We're still getting a little bit of feedback there, Stephen. Well, I'd just like to uh, welcome anybody that's joining us for this live stream of uh, part of the City Temple worship service. It's coming to you right from City Temple, and uh, this is a live part of the service. If you want to join for the whole service, uh, just drop us an email, and we'll send you the Zoom link uh, so you can join for the entire service. Uh, now I'd like to ask uh, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Ayo, to read our scripture today. The first one is from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 9 to 13. So it says, uh, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in, his in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet say that he cannot find what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is, a God, this is God's gift to man. And the second is from 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 9 to 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may work, walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Thank you, Ayo. Oh, you know, one of the most interesting things about uh, the time that I was in the hospital is uh, after I woke up from the coma, or after they woke me up from the coma, uh, I went through uh, what they call deliriums where you kind of see things that aren't true and you realize these things are not true, but you still see them and they're kind of real to you. And uh, like, for example, one time I thought that I had been kidnapped and taken to South Africa and put in a, uh, uh, put in a hospital in South Africa. Uh, but, uh, but I knew it wasn't real. I knew it wasn't true. Uh, and so I was able to fight that misperception uh, with the reality of where I was and, and what I knew at the time. But during that season, one of the blessings that I had was listening to Christian music. And I subscribed to a music service that uh, every week they send me out a, a bunch of new releases uh, and, I, and I would listen through those new releases uh, Christian songs mostly. 
and really enjoyed that. But uh, I was listening to one song, and I won't mention the artist, because I actually like the artist. Uh, I won't mention the name of the song. But there was a lyric that came out in the song. And the lyric was this. I was made for more than working eight to four. I was made for more than working eight to four. And when I heard that lyric, it made me very angry. I can't tell you the anger that rose up inside of me when I heard that lyric. You know, and if that young man had been in front of me at that moment, and he said, Rod, you know, man, I was made for more than working eight to four. I would have addressed him by name in a very gentle, fatherly-like way and said, son, you're lazy. How can you say that? Now, I understand the sentiment. Don't get me wrong. I'm not that dense. But you know what? I first, when I heard that lyric, I felt like it was an insult to everyone who works eight to four. And somehow, and it implied that if you work a normal job, that somehow you're inferior to that person that goes sailing around the world because they can't work eight to four. And uh, I like what Paul said, not in this passage, but in 2 Thessalonians, if a man won't work, he shall not eat. You know, that's kind of how I rose up in me. And you know what? Immediately, there was a couple that came into my mind. And I felt like that lyric was an insult to them. Now, I'm not going to name this couple because that could embarrass them. So I won't name the couple, but they are a wonderful couple, dear, dear friends of mine. He's from Canada. His wife is from Korea. And they have two very beautiful children, but I'm not going to name any of them. And, uh, and this guy and his wife are incredibly godly people. Uh, he's a leader in his church. Uh, he started his own business. Uh, she's looking to start her own business. They've, they're both incredibly intelligent, incredibly competent people who are living their lives for Jesus. Now, you know, you'll never figure out who they are. And again, I won't tell you their names because I don't want you, you know, I don't want to embarrass them or anything. But I honestly, they were the first people that came into my mind when I heard this lyric. And I thought to myself, they're raising these two beautiful children they're living for Jesus. Are they made for more than this? And I'm thinking, no. This is one of the highest callings that people can have. And I thought, I was really upset. You could tell. I was really upset. And I determined in that moment that this was going to be one of the first sermons that I preached when I got back. Because I thought about this couple, and I thought about many people in our church, not all of whom, some of whom are married, some are single, some are working, you know, eight to four, some are working four to eight. But I thought of how they are faithfully serving the Lord day in and day out, 
And the question was, are they made for more than serving the Lord, than living a life that is pleasing to God? And I thought, no. That's what we're all made for. Now, to be fair, I, I, I softened a little bit in that, and, and this is not implied by the song, by the way. This is my own giving grace and, and a, a more generous interpretation. I thought, in a way, it is true that we are made for more than simply or just working eight to four. There's more to life than what we do in our employment. But what we do in, in our employment is a, an important part of our life. But obviously, as Christians, as human beings, we are made for more than just being workers, than just being part of the proletariat or whatever you might call it. Uh, and so it really started to beg the question, what more were we made for? And so I want to talk a little bit about that, the more you were made for, and then how we live our lives in light of the more that we were made for. Now we have to understand how we were made as human beings. Psalm 8 tells us, David tells us, that we were crowned with glory and honor as human beings. David said, when I look to the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you even think about him, that you're mindful of him, and the son of man, that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Every human being has been crowned by God with glory and honor because they've been made by God, they're created by God, they're loved by God, they're cherished by God, and so we are made for more. We're made for God. We also have the ability, according to Solomon there in the passage I read from Ecclesiastes, we have the beauty to see, we have the ability to see beauty in everything, and God has put eternity in our hearts. Because of this, we know that we were made for more. We know that we were made for God. We know that this world, this life, is not the measure of life, of all, what we were made for. We know this, and I'm so thankful that we can find beauty in everything. I remember one of the most beautiful things of my entire life. Early on in my ministry, there was a, a woman who had been crippled for many, many years. She was old, older. She was cared for by her daughter. And she was doing very poorly. In fact, she was close to death. And her daughter came and uh, her daughter called me and said, will you come and pray with my mom? And I said, certainly I will. Now, she wasn't really able to talk. Her mom wasn't. She was in a very bad way. But I came to her bedside. I prayed for her. And then she died. 
right after I finished my prayer. And her daughter said, it was as if she was waiting for you to come and pray and so she could be released. And even though death is a sad thing for us, I mean, I was weeping when I heard about Prince Philip, and I'm saying, well, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even a British citizen. I'm crying for His Royal Highness, Prince Philip. I mean, he was a great man. But there's beauty. There's beauty even in that moment. And we can see the beauty. We can see the beauty in the world. We can see, perceive eternity. It's in our hearts because we were made for this. We were made for this. As Christians, even more, we've been saved, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. For, for God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have been saved. You have been raised up. You have been seated with Christ already in the heavenly places where as a Christian, no matter what your job is, no matter where you live, no matter your marital status, you are part of God's kingdom rule and reign in this world. Every single one of us. We were made for that. And we were given a collective mandate as Christians. Collective. This is all of us together to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and bring God's kingdom into it. That comes from Genesis chapter 1, but it's repeated in the New Testament. And this is our calling as Christians, to be fruitful, to produce good things with our lives, to multiply, to see other people become Christians, to fill the earth, to go to the ends of the earth, even where the gospel has never been preached, and especially where the gospel has never been preached, and then bring God's kingdom. This is the more that we were made for. And we should embrace it. And you don't have to go sailing off into the sunset to experience the more you were made for. In fact, you can experience the more you were made for while working eight to four. And we really need to embrace that. And we need to understand that and affirm that. You don't have to go someplace else. You don't have to do something else. You don't have to have something else in order to have the more you were made for. It's yours right now because of who you are in Christ Jesus. As a side, I look forward to the day when my laryngitis is gone and I don't sound like a 95-year-old man. So pardon me. <laughs> so how do we live? If this is the more we were made for, how do we live in light of this? 
Well, I want to be clear. You know, having dreams and desires for your life is not wrong. It's okay. Dream big dreams. Have big desires. Have great ambitions for your life. That's fine. But your dreams and your desires, I can tell you now, as a man who's a little bit older than he was 50 years ago, uh, your dreams and desires will continually change throughout your life. You don't really know what you really desire. I didn't know that Karen was the woman that I really desired to be married to until God showed me and he awakened that desire within me and then I can't imagine not being married to her. You know, it's, it's the way it works. Uh, I had no idea that I would dream to be in a, a very freezing building in central London uh, in the coldest April in generations. It's the new ice age, uh, you know. But here I am, and there's no place else I would rather be. Okay, well, is there? No, there's not. I had to think about it for a moment because, you know, the dreams and desires, they change. And understand uh, that uh, your dreams and desires depend on a lot of things that you have no control over. The key is to choose to live well despite your dreams, your desires, and whether or not they're fulfilled. The key is to embrace your life as it is right now and live it to the full. Another song that I listened to years ago, and actually just listened to it again last week, is a song by a guy named Harry Chapin. Now sometime, if I have time, I'll tell you the story of how Harry Chapin got me into a lot of trouble. He got me into trouble, uh, I'll give you the short version of it, because I sang one of his songs as an innocent 17-year-old uh, in high school, not realizing at the time that the song was probably a 15 to 18 rated song. Not in terms of language, but in terms of themes. And I'll just kind of leave it there. So I didn't realize there was anything wrong because that was just the kind of guy I was. I was pretty oblivious to a lot of things as a teenager, like most teenage boys are. But Harry Chapin wrote this, this song called Dreams Go By. And it's actually a song that uh, uh, looks at a couple's life at different stages. You know, when they first met, when they first got married, when they first had kids and all the dreams and desires uh, that they had and, uh, and how their life had been so happy. And the chorus goes something like, you and I will watch our dreams go by. Uh, oh, we'll watch our sweet, well, let's see. Uh, oh, so you and I will watch our years go by. We'll watch our sweet dreams fly far away, but maybe someday, I don't know when, but we will dream again, and we'll be happy then, till our time just drifts away. 
I'm sorry. The, it was terrible rendition. Apologies to Harry. Uh, he's probably with Jesus. I do believe he was a believer. But you get the point. So this couple have gone through their life. They've had a very happy life, but none of their dreams had come true. But in a sense, all of their dreams had come true. They had great kids. They had a good life. You know, so you get the point. So how do we live our lives to the fullest in light of the more we were made for? Well, let's look at what Solomon and Paul tell us. And I'm going to take it directly from the passage. So let's look at Solomon first there in Ecclesiastes. He said, hey guys, there's nothing better. This is the best stuff. If you want to live the good life, this is how you do it. Now this is a man who had all the money you could want, all the women you could want, all the fame you could want, and he knew what he was talking about. He said, be joyful. Be joyful. How are you joyful? You focus on the right things. You know, I could focus on the fact that I need a cane, that I have laryngitis, that uh, it's a struggle sometimes to stand up here, or I could focus on the fact that I'm alive and I can preach and, uh, and everybody is tolerating listening to me. Uh, and guess which one's going to bring me more joy? You focus in the right place and you can be joyful all the time. And being joyful is a choice. Secondly, Solomon says, do good. Make it your aim. Do good. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, choose to do good. Then, probably my favorite on Solomon's list, eat and drink. I love this guy. Eat and drink. It means I can have a Snickers bar. I can have a pizza. I can uh, uh, have a Pepsi. This is great. Solomon was such an intelligent guy. Such an intelligent guy. And then he says, take pleasure in your toil. And your toil is not just your job, it's the stuff that you do in your life. Take pleasure in it. Take pleasure in it. And you'll be living the good life. And then Paul adds some things on to this. Now he's talking to the Thessalonians, and he says, you know guys, you know all about brotherly love, but I want to tell you, do this more and more. Keep on loving, showing brotherly love to the people around you. We must do that. Continue to grow in love. Enjoy our relationships. Embrace those relationships. Spend time with people in person, via Zoom, however the law allows us, you know, but build on those relationships. Your relationships are the most important, one of the most important things in your life. And then he says, and aspire to live quietly. Make it your ambition to live quietly. Now, what does he mean by living quietly? He means to live at rest 
and without conflict. It's not, he doesn't mean don't listen to loud music. You know, you can listen to loud music if you want to. But it means try to live your life with, no, with as, much, as little conflict as possible and be at rest. And at rest doesn't mean sleeping in every day. It means to be at peace with where you are in your life. Don't always be thinking, I gotta go somewhere else. I gotta be someone else. I gotta do something else. I'd be happier if I was married. I'd be happier if I had kids. I'd be happier if I had a new job. I'd be happier if I had a new church. I'd be happier if I had a new house. I'd be happier if I had a new car. That's not at rest. Being at rest is choosing to be satisfied with what you have. Now it doesn't, it's not wrong to say you want a bigger house or a nicer car or a husband or a wife. Those things are great. But we need to be at rest. And then Paul says, if you want to live the good life, the more that you were made for, then mind your own affairs. Take care of your own business. That means keep your own life in order. A lot of times we like to criticize other people, but we don't take care of ourselves. We don't discipline ourselves. We don't take care of our money. So Paul says, mind your own business. Take care of your own business here. Don't constantly look at somebody else. Make sure your life is in order. Make sure you are doing what you should be doing. And then he says, work with your hands. And what this means is really do your own work. Don't let other people do it for you. Get in there and do your own work. One of the worst things for me has been a couple of times we've had to have people come in to help, say, with the new bed that we had. And so I'm sitting in my chair, you know, happily rocking away, watching other people work. That's not in me. I hate doing that. And I'm wanting to get up and uh, try to lift the bed, you know, so I do that and I go, ugh, okay, not me. You know, I can't at this moment. But I can't sit around and watch other people work. I got to get in there. I got to do work. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, get in there, work with your hands, do what you need to do, serve other people. And at last here, I'd, I'd summarize this as, Live with the goal of living well before non-Christians and having a godly sense of independence. We want to live like this because non-Christians need to see Christians living the good life. We need to live our lives better than the people of the world live their lives. And we have more reason to live our lives better, more fully. We can embrace suffering. We can embrace difficulty. We can face challenging situations. We can embrace pleasure. We can embrace joy because this is what God, how God has created us. He's made us for more. You know, so many people, they live with disappointment because the dreams and desires they had 
or their lives did not come true. But, you know, as I said, our dreams and desires, they depend too much on the circumstances that are outside our control. You know, if you want to get married, for example, that's a great thing, you know, and I recommend it, but you know, it takes two people. And if you don't find a spouse, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. In fact, a lot of people are kind of dumb today because they have somebody right in front of them that they probably should get married to and they keep looking for someone else. And I'm just like, I, you know, I, can, I talk to several nurses in the hospital and I'm just saying, get married already. And like, well, I don't know. And it's, ah, this drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. But we cannot evaluate whether we're living the good life based on our dreams and desires. They are so, so fleeting. But we can all choose to live well as Christians because Jesus died on the cross for us. He paid the price for our sin. He raised bodily from the dead, and we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Jesus came that we could have life abundantly. We were made for more than living eight to four because we were made for Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you're such an awesome God. We love you. We worship you. We adore you and thank you that you have made us for relationship with you. We praise you and worship you. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.